one thing that fascinates me is that the mare I'm the most famous for was a bareback bridalist. When I started her, the young lady working for me said, you'll be crazy if you ever ride that mare outside. Because she was a very insecure mare. I, st- I wouldn't have chosen her for a colt starting competition. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. A place where we really love to bring consciousness to the horse world. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Turrible country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present and future. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. This episode is a little bit different. If you follow me on social media, or if you've been listening for a while, you'll know that I've just spent four days at Equitana, Australia, and I was there to be the MC of the VIP Super Ticket Holder events. In the first event, I was fortunate enough to interview Stacey Westfall and Pedro Torres. For anyone who does not know who that is, I'll give you a bit of the intro from the Equitana program. Stacey Westfall is one of the US's top clinicians and competitors. She rides Western disciplines. It would take me a long time to list all of her achievements, so I'll name just a couple. In 2003, she won the National Reigning Horse Association Freestyle Competition, where she performed without a bridle. She went on to win major reigning freestyle competitions, riding bareback and bridleless. I do also have to tell you how Stacey was the first woman to enter and win the prestigious Road to the Horse Colt Starting Competition. Pedro Torres is a world champion working equitation specialist who trains using classical dressage principles and by establishing a respectful and kind relationship with his horses. His name is synonymous in Europe with harmonious classical horse training. It's a really wonderful opportunity to be able to interview people like Stacey and Pedro who are world-class in their chosen disciplines. It's so lovely to speak to two people who do different disciplines and who have more in common than you would think. And it's so lovely how they have so much respect for each other. This is a fantastic interview. I loved every moment of it. And a massive thanks must go to Equitana Australia for allowing me to record and broadcast these interviews here on this podcast for all of you guys. Here is Stacey Westfall and Pedro Torres. We'll go with the first question and we're going to start at the very beginning. Where did you begin with horses? Who was that first little pony that carried you around and how old were you? My first little pony, her name was Misty, although she had to have a fancy name, so she was Midnight Mist, even though she was you know, just a little mixed breed pony. And my mom had actually learned to ride on her. She had belonged to my, the neighbors when my mom was, was little. And so she was a rather aged pony when I got her, but she knew some tricks. So she would rear and, um, some of these different things. So right from the beginning, I had this slightly unique pony that, that I got to learn on. And how did you handle that pony? Did she rear while you were on her when you were little? Yes, she was, she was trained to rear and really even looking back, she'd never abused it, which is amazing. <laughs> but she, she never abused it. And, um, 
But it was one of those things where, from what I hear, because I got her when I was six, that she had made the rounds around town because they would they would lease her out. So she was bought as a penny pony. You bought her for a penny, and she came with a saddle and a bridle and and everything. But when you weren't going to use her anymore, you gave her back. So they always maintained this ownership. But she never left our house. She came to us and, and never left. And um, but I guess you know a lot of other kids. They were like, "Don't pull back and squeeze with your legs, or she'll rear." So of course, all the kids. The first thing they did was do that, and she would rear, and they would get off. But she was great. She really didn't abuse it. And um, yeah, no, we, I had much more trouble just running bareback and having her stop to eat and sliding down her neck. That was where more of our issues were. We just, I got really good at getting back on because I and landed in front of her nose. I don't know how. <laughs> And what's your happiest memory with her? Why did you keep getting back on? I I guess maybe my mom was was a horse lover, and my brother learned to ride with us, but I don't have the answer to that age-old question of who gets bit by the horse bug, you know, and, and why that happens to some people who come from horse families or don't come from horse families. It just kind of pops up, and when it's there and it's strong, it just does, but... I just always thought that they were just magical. And I cried when I realized I couldn't actually become one. So then then I cried again when I got bigger than a jockey. So I got this whole history of like, but, you know, it was like, but there was never, a t- it was always going to be something with horses. And do you still feel the same way about horses now as you did back then? Absolutely. I did almost lose that, which was an interesting time period. Um, I went to university horses because when I learned that was possibility that seemed like a great idea and so I went and the best way to describe it for me is that my mom I mean my mom loved horses my mom's excellent with animals she has a dog that you know is one of those ones where she's not a professional trainer but she can talk to it and it knows like 20 different toys by just conversational means she's really good with timing and she was a teacher um in elementary school but with um with the horses, the for me, when I went to university, I started learning a lot of what I call the nuts and bolts. And somewhere in learning all the nuts and bolts, how to move a shoulder, how to move a hip, how to create a lead change, how to do all these things that felt more mechanical, and they're very real, and they're very necessary. But somewhere in there, I felt like I lost, um, I started to almost not believe in that dream part anymore. I call it my Disney thing. Like, so I started to lose that magic some because I thought this was not really a relationship or not really. I, and so it was kind of, I was losing that. And then um, I went home after being away for college and I went out into this big field where my mom had moved the horses to be boarded. And my horse was out in a herd of about 20 and the whole herd took off for the barn and, you know, they're all going to the barn. And halfway down through the field, mine left the herd and came to me and I just broke down and was like, it was real and I'm having both. <laughs> so that was my problem. Beautiful. Pedro, can we hear from you now? How did it begin for you? Five years old? Well actually I think five years old is the the start for a lot of people. Yeah. I started with five years old too. And uh, and also with the pony. Well in um in my father's farm it's just a uh, Few ponies. My my father gave me one to ride, gave me some lessons with that pony, and this started. Well, my father's they are separate since I have two years old, 
and then in the weekends I have a possibility to have with my father and uh, and then to write a little bit uh, this little pony. Well, really from the beginning I was a little bit fashioned of a horse. When I see a horse, it's like the eyes blinking. And um, well, actually I'm not a very good student. And uh, my mother always said, if you if you finish the year, I can put you in the school. And then when I have um, eight years old. I I started in the school school lesson. It's really nice in Lisbon, the place where I live in Portugal. And um, because in that time my mother don't have so much money to support me the lessons, I have possibility to have one lesson a week. But um, in this time the school belongs to the military, and uh, it was a major. And the major I don't know why he likes me very much, and he gave me the possibility to write almost every day a few hours. I was nine years old. But I'm very active. I like to help. I like to clean the horses. I have a special seat where I go up and put the saddle on the horse because I'm well. Not, not, now I'm not big. In that time I was small. And um, well, my boots—they are three numbers up with my size because I'm grow up and my mother don't have money to buy me boots every every time I need it. And then it's a little bit more normal. Actually, exists a newspaper from that time and they call little boots. And it was in my. In my well, because I use that boots like that, and the people ask so funny my activity around the, the horses. Well, when I started to grow up, and with um, with sixteen, my father sold uh, a horse to the German man in in uh, in Portugal, and then it was my first job. With sixteen years old, I started working with the horses. Of course, I had a very nice talk with my mother and said, "Mother, don't worry. I'm going to study in the night. I'm going to finish the studies." And well, that never happened, and uh, I still with the horses. It's no, I'm not gonna say this story to my daughters, but well, they, this is the truth. And um, but I have one reason. I, I started to studying in the night, and um, more or less after six months, I I was in the studying in the night. I have a motorcycle accident, and I broke my leg. And then I well, normally it was difficult for me to keep going in the studies with a broken leg. It was worse, and I give up that year. And I said to my mother, now this year I give up. But next year I don't. And it was like that. The next year, I go again, and um, I broke a leg again with motorcycle. And then I decided, okay, this is not good. Two times, I think I have to quit the studies. And I dedicated my life to the horses. Not the motorbike, the studies. <laughs> no, no, no. Good no, no. choice. And it was a little bit like that. Well, when I have around um, 18, 19, I was invited to be a teacher in the in the riding school. <laughs> and um, and I was a teacher in that in that school. Actually, I I like to teach the people and I like to teach them the education. And uh, well, a month I have 140 students and uh, different ages, and they come into the school and I make some activities. I I play with the people with balls and with chairs. They have to go up. They have to go. go. Well, it's really activities around the horse world, and um, and it was really fun. I was there. And uh, then I decided, okay, I have to learn something more about the horses. And then I changed the place. I go to the huge riding center like a groom. And uh, three years of my life, I was groomed from jumping people, prepare the horses, well, make the beds, clean the horses, all the things you can imagine. It's around the, the horse like a groom. And then it's this one horse. This horse is really important in my life. It's um, It was a horse in that uh, riding stable. It was quite naughty, it's uh, crazy. Well, the horse attacks all the horses. And uh, because the people, they are a little bit afraid, they, they close that, that horse in one box. 
and I never see that horse riding. And then I open the door. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. I think everyone have an angel. And I have an angel behind me to say, go there and open the door. That horse was important in my life. It's the first horse to project me to the world. And um, I look to the horse and it's, well, I don't know, but something pushed me to ride this horse. And I found the number of the owner. I called to the owner and said, well, you don't mind I ride this horse. And she said, well, but the horse is very crazy. He attacks the others. You really have to be careful. And it's, well, it's going to do like this. I try one month and uh, it fits after one month. I can speak with you and see what's happened. Okay, well, and I was a groom. I just had my lunch time. I don't know if anybody heard about Nuno Oliveira. Nuno Oliveira was a very old rider in Portugal. He had a son, João Oliveira, and he was a big friend of my father. And in the lunchtime, both sit in the balcony and they and they give me lessons. It was very, very crazy because they sit in the balcony with the whiskey after the lunch. They give me some lessons and sometimes I look at them and they sleep. <laughs> and it's... And I were like this, oh, just once, once I ask it, well, because he's my teacher and I not can speak well, I'm very respectful of this man. And I said, why? Why are you sleeping? I try to do it my best. And he said, if your writing is good, it's so harmonic, I can sleep. If you don't write well, I'm impossible for me to sleep. And it was like a compliment for me. Well, this horse, he was the first projection of my life. And imagine this, it's a little bit crazy. Because a horse was in the box, and if I go back in the time, this horse opened all my doors. And it's really, it's really amazing how the well, the angel behind you tell you to do. Sometimes you have to follow your life. Sometimes you have to follow the feelings to go on. And well, after that horse, I make a big show with that horse in the big fair of Portugal, the Corvoura, and um, the director of the Portuguese school. I don't really know, but it exists four schools in the world. It's in uh, Vienna, in Spain, Jerez, in Sombur, Cabernet Noir, in France, and in Portugal. It is four schools. And the director of the Portuguese school see me arriving and, um, and asked one of my, my friends, this guy, well, he's a, well, he's a guy with a little bit of talent. I have talent, but I don't have it. I need more knowledge. And, um, well, and it's because that. I asked one of the old writers of the Portuguese school if it's possible to go there in the shed. And, um, and I sit on the chair there every morning, just sit and take ideas to ride my horses in the afternoon. And, well, just see and listen and listen and listen. And once, near to the Christmas, because the old writers take the holidays, the director asked me, you, you don't mind to ride the old horses just to keep them in shape? Imagine. Yeah, for me, it's like a dream to sit in that school, to ride in the same arena of that riders. And, uh, well, this started my new challenge. And after, I never live more. I'm still there working in the mornings. And um, I'm still in that school seven years, in that school. And it was really, really passionate. me a lot. I did it. I, in, that, in that place, I was formed to make caprioles. Of course, in the in this kind of school, you have all the classical movements, levad, piaf, passat, all these things you read. Well, all that things, but also levad and cabriol. And you are specialist in cabriol. Actually, well, I, well, it's a lot of stories. Eh? And but just just this morning, then I finish. I was it was my last show in the Portuguese school. It was in the Cadre Noir in France. 
the Portugal go there to make a, a show together. And it was really, really, really nice in that in that show. It was um, actually it was Sunday. I was a little bit melancholic because it was my last show. I did it, lots of shows with the Portuguese school, with the Portuguese suit, with that kind of horses. It was really well, the last one. And I was there, and uh, normally for Caprioles, you have the arena, and you do the Caprioles in the diagonals. Always in the middle, in the center line, but in diagonals. And I decided to make something new. Well, I don't know what. We said, again, the angel behind you, you had something different. It's your last show, come on. And, and then I take the center line, and I decided to do Caprioles of the poles. And how you know the poles, they have metal rings inside, they are very dangerous, they are quite narrow, they less meters, and you never make a capriole there, special on the top of the horse. Sometimes you do it by hand, but not on the top of the horse. But I decided to make something new. Well, why not? I, I make all the, all the, the things can happen, it's what well, it can happen. I break one leg, yes, the last show happened. I go out, they fix me and it's okay. And it's okay. And I was there, and it's the both schools together. It's Portuguese and Spain and uh, France in the same. In, they call Arzalt is the high movements, okay? And um, and I take the center line, and I did it to Capriol. Nobody thinks I did it there, but all the public go up immediately and clap, and everyone look at me and it's I go in there. It's not the place for Capriols. What did it? And I think it was really good, but this was not. I can repeat again. And then I go again, take all the turn, take the center line, and then the other riders started to look like this, what are you going to do this time? And I did it again. And the public began up because it's really good. And actually, I have a fantastic horse to do that. It's really, really great horse. And then I said, okay, I did two times, but I can do three. Because this is not lucky. This horse is really fantastic, and I can do this again. And then I went to the center line, and both schools stopped. Just look at me, and I, well, I think the horse knew the energy, and he did it a fantastic thing. It was amazing. Really, 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 really good. And not just the public go up, also the riders clap, because it was unique. It was very unique. Then I go home, survive, and go home, and the, direct, the direction from the Portuguese school said, it's this Wednesday come. A photograph from National Geographic. You don't mind to make again the capriole in the middle of the dunes? Ah, oh, of course I do it. No problem. And then I go there. When I take the line, I started to look to the dunes, and it's oops. This is not the same size like in Sumer, and it's half meter shorter. And it's oh my god. And then it's okay. I said yes. Now I have to. And actually, I have one one technique. I started to make the levade, and I tried to keep the poles of the horse, the eyes in the poles. And then the horse jumped up, and I'm in the middle. This is the technique. Okay. And you have to pray, because it's like that. When the horse goes to the hind legs to jump in the air, if you make more strong with one leg, it's very easy to twist in the air. And it's quite dangerous because of that. And inside of the poles, you have the metal rings, or you fix the horses, and it's quite tricky. But actually, I have a movie from that, and he did it a really, really, really nice capital. And it was amazing. It was my last show in the Portuguese school with a very good memories. This horse really did me a lot. I have a very good memories from that school and with a friend now. Also, my master now is the first director of the Portuguese school as well. It was, it was really, really, really good time. And
And then welcome to the next one. Stacy needs to speak also. But I've just, I'll go to Stacy in a sec. There's just with Pedro, with you for just one more moment. There's something that I've just noticed. So you're quite a high energy human being. You've got a lot of energy in you. And I've watched videos of you riding and you're so grounded and calmed and centered and, and completely one with your horse. How do you transition that? That's extraordinary. It's, it's like that. It's in my way of riding. You have to go with the horse. The horse gives you the movement. And if the horse gives you the movement, you just have to follow the movement of the horse. And he not can follow my movement. No, it's the opposite. I give the energy, I give the movement, and I have to follow him. It's like that. It's um, If now I go to the school, now I have a lot of problems with um, hyperactivity. Now it's a disease. Now exist pills for this. In my time, don't exist pills for hyperactivity. And maybe I'm and I keep my own working in this way. I'm very, well, energetic person. I, I like the vibrations. This I can transmit to my horses. But I let him use the body. I never force him to use the body. It's also the way I have to, to dancing with my horses. It's really, you put the energy and you follow the energy. And um, when you follow the energy, you not can be so energetic. You have to wait. And then it's maybe it's like that. I just have to relax and follow the movement. Beautiful, beautiful, Stacy. Pedro was just talking about a horse that that changed his world. Do you have a story about one horse? All horses are special. We all know every horse is special. But do you have one that really changed your world? It's always the challenge of picking the one because for me, it's been like. Who's your best friend? And that changes like your best friend when you're a certain age, when you're young is different than when you're in high school or these different things. And so who who were the ones that made the biggest changes? The the one that the one that launched my career was a little mare named Can Can Lena. And my husband had been training her to be a reigning horse. And I was completely happy staying at home starting colts all the kids were little i didn't want to travel a lot because i wanted to be with the kids and so i would train um i would start colts and i would train problem horses and i would train anything that didn't require me to go to a show because then i didn't have to travel and i really wasn't a huge fan of showing and so i was doing all of that stuff and my husband came to me and he said this he had he had bought this mare for a customer and he and he really, really believed in her wholeheartedly. Uh, she'd come from a cutting background. He'd transitioned her into being a reigning horse. And her mind was so good. She was so good-minded. And, and But he had shown, and he had, in our industry, as you win money, you show yourself out of certain divisions. And so the horse had a more, uh, was more capable of the lower divisions, but my husband had shown himself out of those divisions. So he comes to me and he says, if you'll show her, it's better for the horse, which is unfair tactics because I'm going to go for the horse. So like, so it was going to be more beneficial for this mare to have a show career. And so I said, fine, I'll show her. And I started showing her and I had so much difficulty getting the shot off perfect. And so I kept showing this horse and it was like, if I hadn't made that mistake, I would have won that one. It was always this mistake after mistake after mistake, and a lot of it like rider error kind of mistakes. And it was just super frustrating to me. And I was showing her um, 
in a class where I happened to draw last of last one to go. The scores were kind of low. Doing all the things I shouldn't be doing. Like this should work. Like I've done this score before. And I go in to show her, and um, and so in raining this pattern, like you you do like a horseshoe around the arena. Did a horseshoe, ran down to do a sliding stop, and I shortened up my reins a little bit, one handed, run down, sliding stop, roll back. She's really good at rating, so after this rollback, I kind of made this motion with my hand to like shake the reins a little longer, and I threw the right rein on the ground. It just slipped out of my fingers. And I'm now loping down the arena, trying to run the whole rule book through my head, because you're not allowed to use your second hand, so I put this one behind my back so that I wouldn't break that rule, and you're not allowed to touch the horse with anything, so I'm lengthening my left rein really fast, and like I'm, and I'm, I'm still cantering because you can't break gate because that's a penalty, and I'm leaning over, and I'm fishing this rein up off the ground. I'm desperate to win. <laughs> and like, somewhere as I'm rounding the end, like I get this, and I've got, the right rein is like direct rein completely straight, the left rein is absolutely full drape, like completely loose, and I still run down there, and she still stops completely square. That's when I realized the judge has already like stepped out of his chair and is screaming at me to stop because you shouldn't be running around with the rain on the ground. FYI. In my defense, when I'd taken the judge's school, that didn't exist because other people like me had made this choice and so they had to put the rule in, like, don't do that. So I got disqualified and I was so depressed. I was like, I am incapable of showing this horse's ability. Like, this is, I can't do this. And I sat in the stands and beat myself up for a good part of the day. Just was just, and people would come by and they're like, that was just freaky. You're like laying on your horse with one hand and you're doing like, and the, everything worked. And they said this to me for hours and I went home. And the next day I thought, I did have a lot of control. And uh, that was the first time I tied the reins up and started saying, could I ride a horse bridleless? And so I started tying the reins up real loose because. I'd been run away, run away with as a teenager and like taking the bridle off as a first step is a terrible, terrible first step. So anyway, I tied the reins up loose and that was the mare that I basically shut the arena doors, tied the reins up and went, I'm so close to being able to fully communicate with her what's missing. And, and it was her, that really good mind and all the doors being shut and me being like, okay, she would get confused when I would use my leg and she would speed up and I would be like, but I, I, and I just worked it all out with her in this conversation with this horse giving me feedback. And that was all my bridalist stuff was born with her from that mistake. They're always great mistakes. They're the things we learn from the most, in my opinion. Now, I need to touch on the fact that you said, I don't like competing. And here you are here now. <laughs> And you're world class and you were the first woman to win the road to the horse and all of that. How did that change? What changed? It was just interesting. Um, like Pedro said, the angels behind you, the doors would open. Like the doors would open. I mean, I, I was at a, I was at a dinner and, and somebody was like, what do you do? And I said, I start Colts. And they were like, you start colts? And I'm like, yeah, I love starting colts. I love the mind. You, the, the young horses, they're so open-minded and the things that you can do when they have no preconceived notions, it's just a really fun time. For example? It, I, I just mean, like, the way they don't come to you with, with these, just so as you're interacting with them, there's just this 
rawness to the way that they will interact with you that goes away as they become more. It's just like little kids that will say anything because there's nothing wrong to say. Little kids will say whatever they think because nobody's told them otherwise. So horses feel like that to me. And But the doors, you know, they were like, you like to start colts. Have you ever heard of this road to the horse colt starting competition? And I was like, no. <laughs> but the as the doors would open like that, it was uncomfortable in a way, but it also felt right in a way. I don't know how to describe that better, but, but that's it, it. I've now, now I see the value in competition. It was just that when I was an early trainer, I just felt the pressure. And it, I had a very interesting moment early on. Um, I came from the state of Maine. My husband grew up in the state of Ohio around a lot of horse industry. I wasn't in a lot of horse industry. And I remember when I started dating him, I said to him, I don't understand the horse industry. There seem to be a lot of horse trainers that don't like horses. How does that happen? <laughs> like, because that it just looked like they're in some of the industry that you'll get around. There are abusive techniques and different things that you'll see. And you're like, how? And he said, at one point they did like horses. And there was, I could feel a pressure from, and I, and I think this is a broken system and it doesn't have to be that way. But as the trainer, when I accept a horse in, if you're the client and you put pressure on me, it is then my choice if I put that pressure on that horse or not. But I think when some, when some of these trainers, they, they, maybe they justify it because you're putting pressure on them. I mean, I worked for some. I heard what was coming out of the mouth. <laughs> and they're like, that owner wants to think that I'm... And then they would take it out on the horse. And that was never an option for me. But I accidentally put that view of competition because that's where you see more of that pressure coming around. And what I learned in the end is you just you surround yourself with like-minded people and you don't have to go through any of that. And you can compete without that. Because when you find like-minded people and horse owners that believe in you and what you're doing in their horse and that you're going to do that, it, it's, but in my mind, I had set this, I had seen so much of that that I'd accidentally tied the two together and they don't have to be. And when you did the road to the horse, you, I heard an interview with you where you said you chose your first horse and looked like a great leader, but it was a bit gentle. Can you tell us about when you're looking at a herd of horses like that? What were you really looking for, and what did you see? It's it's an inexact science, because I won the first one, but I didn't win the second one I went in. So it's not like it's a complete magic science thing going on there. But what I was looking for was, I was looking for a horse that would be confident enough to be able to, you know, leave the herd and, and, and do these different things, like, that had some self-confidence, but not maybe so much that they were going to be really willing to push on me. and You know, so it, it's this balancing act of... And of how did you see that? What did you see when you were looking? So if I, I was sitting them. with you and you said to me, that horse is doing that, what would I be seeing? So I was watching the herd and they were running around and they, we got to watch them, you know, at different times. And he would hold his own space so other horses weren't moving him around. You know, so if other horses came he could just kind of raise his presence and, and they wouldn't really, he didn't have to do a lot to defend himself, but told me he, he had done that, but he wasn't attacking the other ones. 
So that particular year, there were a couple other ones that were really aggressive. I mean, you could catch them all, but they were snaking after other horses. Now, like, God, you know, and I'm not, and, and the thing is, in the coal starting competitions, one thing that fascinates me is that the mare I'm the most famous for was the bareback bridalist. When I started her, the young lady working for me said, you'll be crazy if you ever ride that mare outside. Because she was a very insecure mare. I, st- I wouldn't have chosen her for a colt starting competition. But for a colt starting competition, the goal is clear. You're going to do as much as you can inside a very small window. And so that was the particular course I was looking for there. That wouldn't be the same criteria that I would look for in any situation or across the board. So. So how much do you have to change the way you train when you're under a time constraint like that? My dad liked to watch NASCAR racing, and I always felt like it felt like a version of that. It was like, for me, it was, I love putting all kinds of steps. I love, I love the detail work of putting all kinds of steps and layers in, but the challenge there was, if I'm going to strip this down from hundreds of steps, what are the 10 I need that have to work? It was like, so it was just sort of trying to whittle down your, the most clear fundamental ones that were needed. Simplify instead of, yeah. The simplified. Mm -hmm. So even the year that I didn't win, um, that horse was a much more insecure horse who, the pressure was making him act colicky. He was just like really, he just didn't handle the pressure of the whole event well. We still made it all through and um, up through, I haven't watched in detail the last few years, but like none of my horses ever bucked. And that was just one of the things. I'm like, I'm going to do this in a way that I introduced this, that this is how this is the outcome. And so I think it's having these, your own personal goals inside of things. So I don't change the way I show my horses because of who the judge is. I show my horses the way I show my horses. I train my horses the way I show my horses. And and it works. <laughs> Pedro, you were saying before that you let the horse do a lot, that you listen to the horse and read the horse and let it go. What? All horses are good and you're able to read that. What makes a great horse? Have you ever got on a horse like you were talking about in 2016? I could say this wrong. A Hoto? That horse you said back then, it was the greatest horse you'd ever ridden. Can you explain why? Well, Awoto, it's other, other angel in my life. Awoto, it's, it was, um, the breeder of Awoto. I have a few good horses in my life. One is Oxidado. It's the, well, the most famous in working agitation. That horse started to compete with five, finished compete with 17 years old. He was, well, he, he wins 85, almost 90% of competitions he go in. It's really a great, great horse. Awoto, the mother of Awoto is the full sister of Oxidado. And, um, and he's from the same breeder of Oxidado. And, um, this breeder now is the first rider of the Portuguese school and he was my master 20 years and friend. And, um, well, Awoto was a very problematic horse. He was a horse with uh, lots of personality. He was a stallion. He started covering mares with three and a half. And this, I think, changed a lot his behave. And he started to be very, very difficult to, to handle him. 
Well, this breeder try in different ways. Also, they send him to the bullfighting guys because these guys, they are very really tough with the horses. But this, this horse decided, well, in this way, I'm not go. And, um, and he, he, he asked me if I can go there and try him. I will do. And, um, well, you have to ask me three times because the first time I said, Oh, I don't have time. The second time, and he's, Oh, come on. He's too crazy. I don't want to hurt. And the third time I have to tell him, Okay, you are my master. I have to go. And then I go there and I sit on the horse and I feel, well, fantastic potential. I didn't know in the beginning, in the first time I ride him, I didn't know how much the head, the head is okay. Or if he was too crazy and too aggressive or, well, I don't understand that part, but the potential of the body was really, really fantastic. Great. Really nice feeling. And he said to me and he said, okay, Pedro, if you like him, you take him. It's yours. I give you, I give you for you. It's free. You take it, man. That's all. And well, just for you imagine, you were so upset with the man, it's not able to go inside of the box, man. I have a girl to work with me in that time, and just her go inside, prepare him. I waiting outside. I sit on him quite fast because otherwise he tried to bite me. And that was that was the the way. Not uh, not possible. My groom go inside. Also, it's really really difficult horse in the beginning. Well, and um, I go to arena, normal arena, and after 10 minutes, he really wants to fight. And they teach him to fight. And, um, well, he tried to grab my legs. He tried to, well, crazy things. And I decided, okay, uh, lots of riders before, they kick you, they hurt you, they do it a lot of things. If I'm going to try to do the same, don't going to work, I have to find other solutions. And uh, when he started to do like this, I stopped the lesson. I go to the jumping arena and I started to do jumping with him. Take the, all that energy away. It's a something he don't realize with nothing. But I think it's important I create a routine in his head to go to arena, make some exercise and go home with nothing bad. And I started to do like that with him every day. After two months, it started to be possible I go inside of the, of the box. Also my groom. But it... All his life, he was much more comfortable with the women. Much more. Well, after I, I get him in May, and in November, I decided to present him in the biggest fair in Portugal, in the single bridal. Well, you don't imagine, but it's the, this fair, well, it's a big arena, big place, outdoor, uh, together maybe 500 horses, all together, stallions, mares, carriage. It's crazy. It's really, really crazy all together, and I have to present him there. And I really take the bridle just to show to the people he's not ready. Ah. It's really, it's really, well, what this horse gives me, it's a lot. Because he trusts me. And this is really, really important. And uh, how much, well, I feel him, and I think, okay, this is not the way. But always, I don't know what is the way. I have to try to fit in him what is the way. And well, when you started to feel this horse give you everything and really trust in you, and I go with that arena with uh, lots of people around, and he said, well, I'm here, I'm with you. And actually, I win the best horse in the fair. And it was really, really, well, amazing. Really, really amazing. Well, I go home, I train him a little bit more, and I make a movie in YouTube, and um, I put my child in front in that movie, and, uh, well, I received like 100 calls. Well, you are crazy. Want to kill your daughter? What are you doing with that? And, well, things like this. But actually, they come 
one lady and、um, offer him three hundred and fifty thousand. Imagine for the horse with nothing. I started to have a Ferrari <laughs> with lots of money. And、uh, well, I, in that time I have to decide it. I have to decide it because it's.、Um, I feel him is not ready. If I sell him, I win a lot of money. I lose a friend, but do you still have him? No, in this moment he's in the Czech Republic with a lady. It's very happy. Well, actually, it's like a princess there. She sent me photos every week, and he's really, really a prince. I'm very, very happy. She's not a professional; she's an amateur. But from the first moment I see both, she fits in very, very well. Beautiful, and it seems like you put a lot of trust in him as well, and that's probably why he trusted you well. As happens when I have amazingly interesting conversations with incredible people, time flies.、Um, so we do need to wrap it up. One very last question: If you could really quickly tell me what is it that you want? What's one thing that you really want all of us watching you out in the masterclasses to take home? What's one thing you really hope we can take with us from what you've got to teach us? Well, what I'm trying to show in the masterclass is my way of、uh, feel the horses. I'm gonna sit on the horses, in all horses. Just in one, I'm not sit, but the other ones I'm gonna sit in all. And、um, I'm gonna try to share with you the feelings I have with the horses, what I feel, what I'm doing, what is the difficulties of the horse, what kind of techniques I can use or try to use in that horses to improve, or in the end make something like a dance. This is what I'm gonna try to to show in the masterclass with the different horses. Beautiful, and Stacy. I think when when people come to events like this, I think the beauty is that you can look at a lot of different disciplines and take your background and bring it to the masterclass. And you're going to observe and hear things maybe from a different angle, but try to figure out how it fits together with things. Don't look for what divides all of us. Look for the common threads of what's working between all the different presenters. Because when you find that common thread of communication with the horse, whether you're watching. Liberty, or Pedro, or Chris, or myself, or、uh, when you start finding that common thread, that's when the magic can happen with you and your horse because you'll figure out this thing that's hard for us to put into words, but it's right there, and it's the one thing we all seek—that deep connection with our horse. Well, thank you so so much for your time today, and thanks everyone. Thank you. Get in touch with Stacy or Pedro or Equitana. You can follow the links in the show notes, or you can go to the blog on my website, where there are also some pictures that were taken during the interview and the links that you will need. Just go to my website, comealongfortheride.com.au. I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people, so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message, and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts, or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know.
who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd also love it, really love it, if you get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine. So please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's something you'd like me to research more and really speak about at length or even just in a short way, let me know. I'd love, love, love to serve you guys more. Anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.